as you turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, I want you to imagine with me Mary having just received the word from the angel. And I guess that at that very moment, she conceives and is now pregnant. Those of you who've had children will know the physiological changes, the experience that that brings to your human body, what it does in terms of suddenly now you are, as they say, eating for two, or you are now a mother, because as soon as that child is conceived, it's human, not just a bit of tissue. Can you imagine the deep sense of extraordinary responsibility as Mary is told and she believes in no uncertain terms that this is Messiah in her womb? And as she begins to think about the darkness that surrounds her people, knowing that Messiah is going to be a rescue set up a rescue operation, a deliverer. In all messianic hope, it was all about a deliverer for the nation. As she thinks about the darkness that has come upon the land, many hundreds of years before, 586 BC, the Davidic kingdom come to an end, and all Israel's hopes dash, as David's kingdom came to an end, a kingdom that was supposed to last forever and ever according to the promise of God. A nation taken away in exile, suffering 70 years of humiliation and slavery and bondage. And then finally, after 70 years, coming back to their own land and yet still not free, the exile still continues because even in their own homeland, The Jewish nation still is in bondage, first to one kind of ruler, empire, then another. And at the time of Jesus, under the Roman Empire, the I would say the jackboot of Rome, everywhere, taxation extremely high, economy struggling. Yes, they had freedom to worship, but the temple was under the control of the of the Gentiles, longing that God's promise to Israel would finally be fulfilled. Knowing that darkness had come upon the nation, gross darkness the peoples. But also knowing that at the darkest moment, just at the darkest moment of your life, the light comes. Luke 1.26, here's the story. Now in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary and having come in the angel said to her rejoice 
highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at the saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now then the story goes on and we'll be looking at something, other things that Mary said and what Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, also says. But I want you to imagine what it was like to be in ancient Israel at that time. There was deep messianic longing that had been growing up for thousands of years and especially since the exile and intensified after the return from exile, so full of hope. Yes, there was a a new temple. The second temple was built, not comparable to the first, but at least it was there. And then all the prophecies and understanding that God had left that temple and they were still without hope until Messiah would come. And now back in the land, but still not free. The exile still continuing. When will you come? We're living in darkness. We're living in bondage. We're frustrated. Oh God, when will you come and show us the mercies that you promised? Not only was there a longing in Israel, but I put it to you that there was a longing in every nation. The blessedness of Israel was that they knew what they were longing for. Because they had the word, the testimony, the Torah, the revelation, the prophets, the messianic promises. Edesham, the Jewish scholar, tells us that in the rabbinical writings alone, 352 Old Testament passages were interpreted by the rabbis in their rabbinical writings as messianic. This messianic promise is not a Christian construction. It's a Jewish promise present in Jewish scriptures outlined by Jewish scholars. And they knew what to look for. Now there was some confusion. Some of them thought, most of them kind of thought this was going to be a person of this world, a natural leader, especially gifted to be able to break the the yoke of Rome would have to be especially gifted, but he would come and would deliver the nation from the yoke of Rome and establish the kingdom again and David's kingdom would rule from Jerusalem and would purify if necessary or restore, rebuild if necessary the temple so that God's people would practice temple and Torah and go back to what it was in the golden age. Then there are others who looked, and you read their writings, it's not just the rabbinical writings, Dead Sea Scrolls and all the different kinds of writings. There are others who believed that Messiah would come as a larger-than-life figure, a supernatural figure, a glorious figure, who would come and would descend from heaven and would bring about the same deliverance. But the end game was always the same. Set us free. Give us our own political kingdom back again. 
And as this was growing, the hope of the nation, also the nations. The problem with the nations, though, they didn't know what they were longing for. Have you ever been there longing for something? Nothing quite works as you want it to work. Longing for something and not knowing what you're longing for? Well, I tell you, his name is Jesus. Let's cut to the chase. St. Augustine, who ministered one of the most powerful theologians of all church history, one of the early church fathers, ministered 4th century, 5th century BC, he said this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I was reading Augustine's Confessions, in which he makes a confession of his faith in Christ and describes for all the world to see how he came to Christ, what he went through, and how he searched. And he kept saying, there was more to what life to life than what I was seeing. He studied all the pagan philosophers. He couldn't find what he's looking for. He learned some stuff, but when he came to Christ, he said, my heart has come home. So whether it's Israel waiting and expecting with revelation and understanding concerning Messiah, or whether it's the nations not knowing what they're hoping for, many of them putting their trust in the false gods of the nations, or whether it's you and I personally, the darkest, deepest moment of our life, longing for something we don't know what we're longing for, that was the mood or an atmosphere when God spoke to Mary. And so this messianic hope was very much alive. And and when God says through the angel to Mary that you're going to bring Messiah, it doesn't exactly use that term, but this is exactly what is happening here. Just look at the messianic language that comes from her mouth. Luke chapter 1, 2 verses 54 and 55. This is uh, from the Magnificat. This is Mary's song and And the context of this is that Mary, obviously now she's conceived and the angel has told her that Elizabeth, her relative, has also conceived and she's going to be the father of John the Baptist, married to Elizabeth, married to Zachariah. And so Mary goes and visits Elizabeth and as soon as Elizabeth steps inside the door, the child in Elizabeth's womb, as soon as Mary steps inside the door, the child in Elizabeth's womb leaps and she says, oh, how wonderful. And then she breaks out in song and then the anointing hits Mary and she breaks out in song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. But then in verse 54, listen to this language. This is 100% messianic. This is a Jewish young woman who is rejoicing that God has finally sent Messiah so the promises to Israel would be fulfilled. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. Can you see how 100% Jewish this is? We have the Jewish Messiah in the person of Jesus. And she is celebrating and talking about God's promise to Abraham, the covenant with Abraham. Genesis 12, verse 3, it says, In your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 13, also it says, To you, Abraham, and your descendants, I will give this land. And what land was that? It's described in Genesis 15, verse 18, and this is coming on the screen. On the same day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. That is a massive tract of land. 
Now, the great river is probably not Nile. It can be somewhere, uh, in a wadi down there. You can trace it on your Bible maps and see. But anyway, it goes right down from the south in Egypt, right up to the north, past Lebanon, into the uh, river Euphrates. And of course, on the, on the western side, there is the Mediterranean. There is, there is the sea. And the eastern side, Jordan. And then some of the land on the other side of Jordan. A massive tract of land that God said, I'm giving to you, Abraham, and your descendants forever. And now Mary says, it's going to happen. God has come to fulfill it, but we need to know Abraham never inherited it. Neither did Israel, ever. Now, in King Solomon's time, the land, which was the biggest part of the Solomon's kingdom, uh, kind of stretched within that vicinity, but not, not exactly, not neatly. So at no one time have the Jews in any generation inherited everything that God promised them. Hmm. But now in Mary's time, even worse than that, they've got nothing. They're in the land, but they can't determine it. And, and the promise of Deuteronomy 30 has not yet been fulfilled. I'm going to look it up later. It's verses 5 through 10. God says in Deuteronomy, if you disobey me, these curses will come upon you. If you obey me, these blessings will come upon you. But if you continue to disobey me, not only will these curses come upon you, but I'll take you out of your land and fling you right out into the nations. And, but then I will bring you back again into your land and I will give you a new heart, a heart to know me and I will restore you and I will cleanse you and you will have a heart to follow Torah and you will be in your land loving me and everything will be as it should be. But it never happened. But now, Mary says, you've remembered your promise. It's going to happen. And we fast forward to Zachariah's song. Zachariah is Mary's uh, relative also. John the Baptist's father, Elizabeth's, Elizabeth's husband. And uh, after the birth of John the Baptist, as Gabriel was saying, Zachariah's mouth was opened. And what comes? Praise. Listen to this in more extended quotation. Luke 6, verses 68 to 75. Listen to this. Now, don't forget, Luke is essentially a Gentile gospel message. Essentially. Whatever decades it was after the death of Jesus, this was essentially a message out to the Gentile world, and yet here in a Gentile gospel, Luke accurately records the Gentile, the Jewish heroes of the story celebrating the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. Think about that. Here it is. Sheer messianic language. Sheer Jewish language. Sheer celebration of God's promise to Israel that he is fulfilling in that generation. Verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. For he has redeemed his people. Who are his people? Here. Who's Zechariah singing about? His people. His own people. The Jewish people. Verse 69. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Meaning the kingdom is coming back to Israel. David is going to rule again in the person of Messiah. Verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have since... The world began, have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. 
God is finally acting to set us free, to perform mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, may serve him without fear in holiness, righteousness before him all the days of our life. Can you see Elizabeth, Mary, the angel, Zacharias, all celebrate the fulfillment of God's covenant to Israel. But there was never a liberation from in the land. When Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of God is here. He began to preach the kingdom. Of course, he is Messiah, which means he is Israel's king. He didn't run around saying, I am the king of the Jews. That's what Messiah means the anointed ruler of the Jews. He didn't say that. There already was a king of the Jews. Jesus didn't want to precipitate things. Herod was the king of the Jews. But finally, when Jesus was crucified, above his head was written the crime of which they punished him and gave him capital punishment. He is the king of the Jews. And, and, and they said, don't say that. Say he said he's the king of Jews. And Pilate said, I've written what I've written. He was crucified as he was, uh, they understood that he was claiming to be the Jewish Messiah. Herod couldn't take it. Rome couldn't take it. Nobody could take it. There's only one imperial leader. That's the emperor. You can't have that kind of thing in an occupied land. So Jesus dies as a messianic pretender, but in doing so, he is achieving something far greater than any earthly political kingdom, any earthly political deliverance. He said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. That was a hard thing to hear for the Jews. Watch your Messiah, and you're not going to set us free from Rome? What kind of Messiah are you? You need to go back, Jesus says, and study the, 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 the Old Testament. Study the Scriptures. This one must suffer and die and then enter his glory. So Jesus, in his teaching, completely reorientates Jewish expectation and shows how he is the perfect fulfillment of the meaning of Scripture. That he came, first of all, not to bring a political, restored Jewish kingdom. He came to bring salvation, first of all, to the Jews. That's why salvation is from the Jews, because out of the Jewish nation comes Messiah, and that he gives them a spiritual liberation, and then promises the time is coming when he will return to this earth and establish his kingdom, not just over some territory in the Middle East, but over the whole earth. Don't, and Jesus would be saying, don't have the exact quotation, but the New Testament says, don't think that the promise was to Abraham and Abraham's descendants according to the flesh that they should inherit just this piece of land. Don't think that. The promise is far greater. Don't you remember that I said, in you, Abraham, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so when Jesus comes back, he will establish the real holy land. The real Holy Land, friends, is not that bit of territory in the Middle East. The real Holy Land is the whole earth. And the Psalms and the prophets make this very, very clear. The Gentiles coming into the light of the Messiah 
was not just they're coming to join a movement, but they were part of a new covenant, a new plan of God, in which God's plan was not just to make some beautiful territory in the Middle East, holy land, but the whole earth is his temple. The whole earth is his holy land, and he's going to dwell in amongst us, and his glory is going to fill the whole earth, because Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's. And when Jesus began to teach, he didn't say, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land of Israel. What did he say? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So not only did Jesus fulfill every expectation of Jewish prophecy and as Jewish Messiah, he also came and took their expectation and expanded it and said, I want to tell you what the real plan is. The real plan is not just to choose one city, Jerusalem. No, no, no. The real plan is not just to choose one nation, the Jews. The real plan is not just to take one territory. No, the real plan is to take all these things and through them reach the whole world so the whole world shall be saved. Amen. Amen and amen. That's why Gentile writers uh, or Gentile audiences can be thrilled, even as we are today, to know that we are part of God's covenant blessing and that the Jewish Messiah has been made available to us in the mystery of God's working as the Jews turned their back upon their own Messiah that in a wonderful, mysterious way opened the door for us to come in. And but, but our role is not just to enjoy him. Our role is to make the Jewish people jealous. We have your Messiah and he's wonderful. That's not fair. You've stolen our Messiah. No, no, no. There is plenty of room for you as well. All together, Jew and Gentile, in Messiah, in Christ, can worship God together as brothers and sisters in whom there is no Jew or Greek, no Jew or Gentile, no rich or poor, no slave or free, no male or female. We are all equal inheritors, not just of a piece of land in Israel, but the whole of the earth. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Now right into this, there is this phrase that thrills me. That's the teaching of sonship. If you go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 32, he will be great. He'll be called the son of the highest. You see that? Another part, which we didn't read, I'll just quote it for you. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the son of God. This reminds us of Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us, a child is born, 9 verse 6. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with justice and judgment from that time forward even forever. Oh yes, the kingdom has come. But remember, Jesus has revolutionized the concept of kingdom. First of all, he says, it does not manifest in earthly political government. Now the kingdom should influence. We, I, I would like to see God's kingdom influence our government much more than it does. 
but there's no government on earth that is the kingdom of God. Every time people, whatever particular religion they belong to, whenever they try to bring God's kingdom on earth through their own efforts, it ends in disaster. Let's start from today and go backwards. What do you think Islamic State is all about? What do you think ISIS is all about? Are you familiar with this terminology? You should understand it and see what a challenge it is to the promises of God. This is a direct challenge to the word of God. ISIS, what does that stand for? Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. What does ISIL stand for? Islamic State, see they extended it, Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. Levant is the Eastern Mediterranean nations. It includes Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and what other nation? What other nation? Israel. Islamic State is taking charge of that whole territory that God promised to Israel. And they are saying, Allah and Islam shall rule over Israel. That's what they're saying. Now, Daesh, which is the initials, very simple, it's not confusing at all. Daesh is the transliteration of the Arabic first letter of each word describing the Islamic state of Iraq and the Levant. That's what Daesh means. So people want to use the term Daesh thinking, well, we're not, it's less offensive to Muslims because we're not saying it's anything to do with Islam. Daesh means an Islamic state. No, okay. Every bit of this is based on the idea that a group of people from whatever religion, in this instance, the Muslim religion, think that they can build God's kingdom on the earth. And what do they have? as the weapons of their warfare if they are bringing through physical means through their own efforts a kingdom. All they've got is politics, military, violence, war, legal systems. That's what they're doing. And that's a disaster. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. In the first instance, the kingdom comes as God's rule over your heart. And the salvation he brings is not deliverance from political bondage. The salvation he gives is salvation from sin and spiritual bondage. And we are to witness to the politicians of this world, but we don't build and cannot build the kingdom on this earth. We wait for Jesus to come back, and in the meantime, we've been building for the kingdom, and nothing we've ever done will be in vain in the resurrection. Everything that we've done for, for Christ will be fruitful. It won't be in vain. And we'll have a share in the future kingdom where God will bring it. It's God who will do it. It'll come from heaven. The new Jerusalem comes from heaven. You can't build it from the ground up. It comes from heaven. This is the difference between the religions of this world and the kingdoms of this world and our faith and the kingdom of God. Can you see the massive difference? And when it goes back to the medieval times, whenever... The medieval Christians confused this. They thought they could build the kingdom of God by sending soldiers out, crusaders, to liberate the Holy Land, as they would call it, from the Muslims. And on their way, not only did they kill Muslims, but they killed every possibly every Jew they could find. Can you see as soon as people get into their head that they can build God's kingdom on the earth through military, political ways, they become fanatics. And even... In the Reformation time, John Calvin kind of slipped into this because he tried 
to build in Geneva a, a kind of ideal Christian community where even heretics were put to death. Thank God Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Jesus says, I want your heart. I want your life. I want you to be salt and light to influence your world, but you wait from heaven for the revelation of God's kingdom. You can't bring it about in your own efforts. And there's another kind of false teaching on the kingdom today. That is Christians, even born-again Christians, who believe when they look at the nation of Israel that they see the kingdom of God. In other words, if we're pro-Israel, if we support Israel, if we talk about Israel over and over again, we'll help them build the kingdom of God because they are the people of God and when they rule on this earth, they represent the kingdom of God. That is Old Testament which has been superseded by Jesus who said, this is the blood of my new covenant. So when we look back, we thank God for Israel. They are beloved for the Father's sakes. And they have the privilege and should have the privilege of first hearing the gospel. But we do not go back in history and try to get Christians to become Jews in any way or thinking whatsoever. To give them a wrong place in the, in the kingdom of God. Mind you, it's equally true and has also been our fault at times to try and make Jews Gentiles in order to get into the kingdom of God. That's equally wrong. But the whole point is our national roots are irrelevant. Jew and Gentile both have to believe in Messiah. And when we receive Jewish Messiah and we celebrate him and we enjoy him, they'll look at us and say, what are you doing with our Messiah? We want him back. Oh, you can have him too. There's plenty of Messiah for us all. How amazing. We have this term, sonship. Son of the highest. The son of God. What does this mean? And as Mary and others would think of these scriptures, it took a long time for Christians to actually say, do you know what? The Son of God is going to be divine. He's divine. Here, Son of God simply means he's representative of Israel. Out of Israel I've called my son. What does that refer to? Well, they escaped from Egypt. Jesus went to Egypt as a baby. And when he was brought out, the prophecy, out of Israel, out of Egypt, I've called my son. Jesus is representative head of the Jewish nation. And in his person comes the fulfillment of God's promise. God's promises for his presence in his temple. God's promise for the Torah to be revived and to be in people's hearts. How amazing that this term son of God, which means somebody who's in close relationship with God, of course, but somebody who is Israel's representative actually becomes the term in which helps us reflect on who Jesus is and discovers, we shall see in another message, this is actually none other than God with us. Not just a Messiah who represents Israel being made available to the nations, but this is God manifest in the flesh. This is Emmanuel, God with us. That would take time for people to understand that. But it's absolutely true. So what do we understand today? We understand the darkest moment when you feel you've given all hope and the promises that God has given you have been held and held and held and held until finally say, God, are you ever going to do it? And the external circumstances become worse and worse and worse. And your, your darkest moment at that particular point, get ready because the light is coming. Amen, amen and amen. It's a word for some people here today. 
There's a new day coming for you, a new light that is coming. It's going to shine in your heart this Christmas time, and it's going to reflect the good news that God gave 2,000 years ago. We also realize that God is faithful. God is faithful. He will fulfill his promise. All these people were celebrating the fact that God fulfilled his promise. And this was a few decades after the coming of Messiah. Nothing had changed. The Jews were still under Rome. AD 70, the temple was going to be destroyed, polluted and destroyed. AD 135, all of Jerusalem was going to be destroyed, run over by pagans and Gentiles and changed into another name altogether. But still they celebrated God has not lied. He is bigger than we could ever imagine. That's the good news. God is faithful. He won't just fulfill the promise as you think it should be fulfilled. He'll fulfill it in a way that fits in with his greater plan for your life and for his glory. Somebody shout hallelujah. <laughs> and the final thing I want you to know is this. And I spent a lot of time today looking at the Jewish historical roots of teaching of Messiah. To remind you, Israel is a nation, yes? physical on this planet from Abraham's day till today, okay? The law was manifested and given physically in history. The temple was built, the tabernacle was built, and God dwelt in that temple on this planet. Historical reality. And Jesus came into this planet. Historical reality. This isn't just ideas. He acts in history. He acts in history. These events happened. And that means that our faith isn't some spiritualized faith, some airy-fairy faith somewhere over there. No, no, no. It's about nebulous. It's kind of up there, spiritual, spiritual. No, this means that God knows how to step into the world of history, the world of time and space, into your world, your time, your space, right here, right now. And touch your life. He knows how to work in circumstances Promising you that every curse is going to be reversed. That all sickness is going to be destroyed. That there's going to be nothing but shalom given to the people of God. Spreading throughout the whole earth for the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. He says, therefore, trust me. It may take time. It may not work out according to your timetable. But I'm on the case. I've got it ready. And know this, in the midst of your darkness, the light is about to come. Give Jesus a mighty praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Give Jesus a mighty praise. I have sent out to you, and, and um, uh, quite late yesterday, but sent out to you, the cell leaders, today's message and the discussion points, and it's all based on this I want you to think about. Mary was pregnant in Nazareth as an expectant woman in a waiting world. Yes, she was. Telling us all her testimony in the darkest moment is just before the light. I want you to think about that today. I want you to think about how God has stepped into your life and how you can introduce him to others. Jews, Gentiles, nominal Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, atheists. Because he is God's gift to the whole world. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for the facts of the gospel, for the truth of the revelation 
of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ. We thank you that <laughs> in some amazing way, when he showed up as Messiah, the fulfillment of messianic hope for the Jewish nation, there was a place for us. There was a place at the table for us. We didn't deserve it, Gentile sinners. We didn't deserve it. And in the mystery of the hardness that has come upon Israel, you turned that around and made it salvation to the nations. And we thank you that the Jews are going to come again because if their rejection means salvation to us, what will their fullness mean but life from the dead? So that you in your plan will reach all nations, Jew and Gentile. We ask you to help us focus on the spiritual nature of your kingdom and not to make the errors of trying to build kingdom through political and earthly means, through might and force and power and coercion, but to preach the love of Christ, that the Spirit might reveal who Jesus is. Every prayer.